This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back to the show. Sandy and Sean at Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough on my left. I'm Sean Drotar. Danny Boyle in the booth. Thanks for joining us. And you popped in at the right time because we're delighted to speak to our next guest. That would be Tad Boyle, the head coach of the CU men's basketball team. Uh, coach, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, good to be with you guys. Well, you, you finally get a moment to sort of catch your breath after the beginning of this season has been uh, uh, pretty compressed. And now uh, you had the win on Pepperdine uh, on Sunday, and now you get a couple of uh, days off here before you take on uh, Miami, the number 15 team in the country. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask, because you've been at Colorado for a long time prior to that, uh, University of Northern Colorado. Uh, you had big game against Colorado State recently. This feeling of big-time college basketball that is happening in the state of Colorado. Have you experienced it before, and how does it help you build the program? Well, you know, there's been, there's been pockets of, uh, of, of times uh, in my 14 years at Colorado and even my four uh, more at Northern Colorado where, where, you know, we've had some good teams in the state. Air Force had some good teams there. They had a good run for a while. Right. Um, it's been a while since DU had had something. You know, Northern Colorado, uh, we had it going, and they went to the tournament the year after I left. So, and Colorado State, you know, had some really good teams under Larry Stacy, and and, yeah. uh, and now obviously Nico's done a good job. So, you know, we've we've certainly seen pockets in years where it's been stronger than others. Uh, but this year, you know, I think when you look at Colorado State and you look at ourselves, um, two in my in my opinion, NCAA tournament teams. You know, there's a yes. lot a lot of time between now and then for us to have to prove that, but, uh, but no, the, I mean, if it's in terms of both of us being as, as strong as we are and, and quality of players, uh, uh, that we have, I think this is as good as it's ever been, but we, there's been some good times, good years in the past too. Coach to pick up on, on Sean's point a little bit, certainly during the second half of the CSU game last week, I thought that was about as high a level of college basketball as I've seen around here, uh, you know, maybe going back 15, 20 years, uh, you, you might know better than I would if I'm, I'm exaggerating that a bit, but I just thought the quality of play, it had the feeling of two heavyweight teams yeah, going back no, and no forth. Doubt. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it would have been 40 minutes if we wouldn't have stunk it up first 20. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, but it was the last, you're right. The last half, you know, we made it a game. We finally you know woke up a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a high level game on both sides. I mean, look, we've got some really, really talented players uh, uh, in, in, in Buffs uniforms, but you know, Isaiah, Isaiah Stevens is, Man, is he a special player? Oh, and I, I yeah. knew that. I've known that since he's <laughs> yeah. been there. You know, right. he's getting better and better every year. But you know, this year, and the way he played that night was was off the charts. But we, you know, we had some real. I mean, KJ Simpson had thirty points on thirteen shots that night. I mean, that's that in itself is a pretty darn good performance. Obviously, yeah. Cody Williams, you know, played well. So um, it's going to be a fun year. I, I think if if there are if there are college basketball fans in this state. And they don't make it a point to get at the Fort Collins or oh. over to Boulder to watch these two teams. You know they're missing something. Well, you got Miami, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, coming in on uh, Sunday, and um, yeah, there's a Bronco game on, but uh, go up to Boulder. <laughs> you have time to get back and watch the Broncos uh, once the game ends. Yeah, well, but we, I, won't, we won't. Yeah. Be, it won't be in Boulder on Sunday, Jay. We'll be in, in, 
in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Here. I'm, I'm yeah, sorry. That's okay. But, but, okay. but the we timing can, can yeah, conflicts. Yes, yeah. you can watch it on the tube. Uh, I want to ask you about your freshman. Um, and actually, it was my partner who made this observation uh, that it, with with freshmen, whether they be five stars or uh, four stars, three stars, whatever, the, the, the improvement is sometimes fairly gradual. And it, it, you know, it might be week to week, month to month. Uh, once conference plays start, they get their feet wet a little bit. And my partner said about a week ago, Cody Williams seems to improve half to half. Yeah. And I guess the Colorado State game was a good example of that. <laughs> there was a major improvement in the second half where he scored all his points. No, yeah, no doubt. And, and game to game, you know, he's yeah. he's, oh, yeah. he's definitely getting his feet wet. And, uh, you know, it's going to be one of those things. And, 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 you know, I go back to when we had Derek White up here. We only had him for a year, right? Yeah. And and he, he was at the end of his college career. Well, Cody's just at the beginning of his. Right. My guess is we'll probably only have Cody for a year. But yeah. so, so, again, it, it just goes back to the point I made earlier, like, you know, you're going to be watching this kid three, four, five years from now in the NBA have a major, major success, much like Derek is right now. And and you could have had the chance to see him, you know, uh, up front and in personal, you know, when he was 18 years old. So uh, I remember when I was a, a young assistant at the University of Oregon, uh, the Pac, Pac-10 back then was having their you know, uh, NCAA golf or the, the Pac-10 championships, the golf tournament in Eugene, Oregon, and there was a guy named Tiger Woods that was playing, and I never went out and saw him play, and I, I could have been, you know, I could have been throwing a rock to to, to hit him, to watching him uh, play around the golf, and I didn't do it, and I always regret that, you know, and I think people are going to have the same feeling if they, they don't come watch a kid like Cody Williams. Play. Right. Uh, th- this was a terrific recruiting class coming into this season, of course. You know, three players in the ESPN Top 150 for the first time. And, of course, you talked about Cody Williams. But uh, it-, it feels as if the program is ready to take another leap. Even if you do have a player like Cody Williams for one year, uh, that success still breeds success. And so I think one of the questions when you're talking about running a program year in, year out, as you have, with the turnover being not only frequent but also inconsistent, how do you continue to build a culture up in Boulder that continues to grow and continues to succeed? Well, I think that the, the short answer to that is you recruit great kids from great families with high character. And we have made a conscious decision to try as best we can. Uh, and again, we, we, we signed a kid out of the transfer portal last spring. Um, but we are really trying to build it with high school kids. Right develop them, have them grow. Now, you know, Alec Burks was here for two years. Spencer Dinwiddie and Andre Roberson were here for three years. Cody might be here for one. But whatever the case may be, we've had a lot of four-year players who have had great success. So you build it with high school kids who who own the program by time they're juniors and seniors. Like K.J. Simpson's a junior force this year. And this, you know, he's, he's our point guard. And yeah. he has ownership in this program. He's got some sweat equity in it. And when you're recruiting out of the transfer portal or junior college kids year in and year out, it's really difficult to, to create that culture, create that continuity, even though we know year to year, there's going to be attrition. You know, we know that, but you know, you get that core group of guys. You mentioned, you know, this year's recruiting class, we just signed four kids in November, high school kids that are really good players themselves. So you keep stacking those classes on top of themselves. And, and, and you develop, develop them. And, and we've got a great strength and conditioning coach. 
you know, we treat our kids really well. Boulder's a great place to go to school and spend three, four, five years of your life. So uh, a lot of a lot of positives going on up here that we've tried to uh, capitalize on. Uh, you mentioned the, uh, the portal, and um, you know the big uh, catch for you was uh, obviously Eddie Lampkin and um, uh, some of us who, who follow the yep. Big Twelve and certain programs. <laughs> big Twelve very familiar with Eddie Lampkin. We've seen him play a lot uh, at six eleven two sixty five, and that uh, you know he, he's he's not playing heavy minutes for you, but he's one of those three seniors in your starting lineup, and and I know you like that. Uh, Yes, De Silva and Hadley have been around uh, the program, but even Hadley came from what Northeastern, right? Uh, and and yeah, he came from Northeastern via uh, Indian Hills. He was a yeah, junior college kid, right? You know, right. So. And and so you you've been able to meld uh, these these people in, but but you have that kind of experience. You have Luke O'Brien, who's a senior coming off your bench. Julian Hammond the third, a junior coming off your bench. So uh, you know the, the, this this seems like a perfect confluence of circumstances uh, to give you a chance maybe to have your best team? Yeah, absolutely. I think the best best offensive team we've had since probably our first year here when we had Alec Burks and, and uh, Corey Higgins and, and that group who could really score. I think we averaged almost 84 points a game that year over the season. That's this what you're averaging have, this year at yeah, 83.8 so, so far. Yeah, exactly. Yeah so far and we if we can you know pack 12 play we'll see if we can continue that pace we want to play fast we want you obviously uh taking advantage of the altitude when we play at home you know we want to put a lot of points on the board um so this this team has a chance i think to be as good offensively as that team had uh the difference is i think we can be a better defensive team because that's the one thing i couldn't get that team to do is is to buy in on that end of the floor so these guys have bought in now we don't always do it you know, we've, we've had halves where we've been really, really good defensively and in other halves where we haven't. But, um, you know, that's a work in progress that uh, I'm, I'm excited about. This, You know, the one thing I like about our team, guys, is right now, here it is, you know, we just turned the page from November, December, is the ceiling for this team is much higher than where we're playing oh, right yeah. now. Yeah. Oh. And, and I don't think you can say that about a lot of teams. You know, there's, right. there's some teams. Uh, but we're still trying to find ourselves. And, uh, you know, Eddie Lampkin coming off back surgery, he's still not in great, great game shape yet. Right. You know, it's hard for him to play extended minutes yep. because he's not able to physically. So, you know, he's a work in progress. Um, but I like this team. I like the, the, the parts of it. Now we just got to, you know, blend it together and, and, and play together. And if we do that, the sky's the limit. Uh, for a work in progress, Eddie Lampkin leading the team in rebounds at 7.6 per game is not a disaster. We're joined by Playing 23 uh, and a half minutes. Yeah, the University of Colorado Buffalo's head men's basketball coach, Tad Boyle. And, and coach, uh, you're going into your ninth game of the season against Miami, but it'll be the third game in one of these showcases. Obviously, you had two at the Sunshine Slam in, in Florida. You'll have uh, this one at the NABC showcase in uh, Brooklyn. And does that make it more difficult to get your guys used to road games, especially when it's sort of surrounded by the, the pomp and the circumstances of these invitationals? Not so much, no. I mean, the neutral court games like we had in Florida and the one we'll have in Brooklyn, you know, uh, St. John's, I think, plays after us. So there'll be some, there'll be some people in the stands, I'm sure, oh, yeah. to, to watch them. You know, we'll, I think we'll have a, a good crowd, but certainly the Barclays Center won't be packed. You know, we've got a good contingent of alumni in the uh, in the East Coast, in the New York and New Jersey area. So 
hopefully we'll have a good turnout. But it gives it gives you a chance, guys, to play a really quality opponent. Obviously, a top twenty uh, team on a neutral floor, and that there's nothing like uh, that because that's what's going to happen if we're fortunate enough to play in the NCAA tournament. You're going to play. You're not. You're not going to play in somebody's home floor. You know, we're not right. going to go into an environment like we did in Fort Collins the other night. Now we will when we play in the Pac-12, but we won't. You know, in in postseason play, which is what you prepare, try to prepare your team for. You know, uh, in the non-conference uh, play, with what are you going to see come March? And the the games in Florida, the game in Brooklyn, is going to help prepare guys for that. Is there anything, and I know the conference season doesn't start for a few weeks, but is there anything that's odd or awkward about playing in a league that after this year won't exist? (laughs) Well, Sandy, that's a great question. Uh, I'll I'll be be able to better answer that, you know, when the season's over with. I I can tell you just the, the, the only experience that I have so far is, you know, going to media day back in, in October, we held it in Las Vegas, and which is where our tournament's going to be. Uh, and it was like going to your own funeral. It was it was the worst <laughs> experience I've ever had, you yeah. know, in 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 my life as a, as a coach, you know. And again, not because of Pac-12, you know. I don't think the the staff, the people that are working and putting on that media day or putting on the Pac-12 tournament, right here come March, you know, they're doing the best they can. They're staff members, you know, and I I feel for them because. You know they're polishing up their resumes because um, uh, they're not going to have a job come uh, the spring, and, and so there's a lot of sadness that goes with uh, our league dissolving. Not just the fact that hey, we're not going to be part of the Pac-12, but you know people are losing their jobs, and, and anything time that happens, when it's they've done nothing to do it, uh, have, have to anything to do with that is is kind of sad. So uh, we'll just make the most of it and uh, and, and see how it goes. Coach, you have a, a couple of games left before the conference schedule starts, and I guess I don't want to single out any game on there, but it, the calendar turns to 2024. Of course, you'll start with that matchup against now number one ranked Arizona. We'll see what happens uh, by the time you get there. But looking at the way you grow this team, you talk with Cody Williams' growth, you know, Lampkin getting more healthy. We've seen what we can out of K.J. Simpson. When you look at your team today and you look at them in almost exactly 30 days when you get ready to take on Arizona, what do you want to see when you get from point A to point B? Well, I want to see Eddie Lampkin in, in game shape, tip-top shape. That's that's number one because they've got some some interior players that he's gonna <laughs> we're gonna need him yeah. to match up with. Omar Balo being one of them, you know, they're starting center. We don't have anybody on our roster other than Eddie that can, you know, bang with that kid and and, and neutralize him down low. So we we need that number one. The second thing is I want our guys to understand that for us to be successful, they have to rely on each other. We've got a lot of individual talent. You know, we mentioned yes. Cody Williams, KJ Simpson, Tristan Da Silva, Eddie Lampkin, Javon Hadley, Luke O'Brien, Julian Hamp. Like a lot of individually really talented, gifted players. But for us to go down and beat a team like Arizona on their home floor, which by the way we have yet to do in our 13 years in the Pac-12, uh, we're going to need to play together and rely on each other because it's not we're not going to be able to go down there and just do it indiv- with individual talent. We have to do it with collective talent that plays together, plays with toughness, plays with heart and grit. Because um, you have to go beat Arizona uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna beat them in their own building. They're not gonna beat themselves. Right. 
Coach, this was the uh, second longest break you got all year, the break before between Pepperdine and Miami. We truly appreciate you spending a little bit of time uh, during that break with us. Thank you so much. I hope we have the opportunity to do this again as this season rolls along. Best of luck out in Brooklyn and uh, the rest of the season. Okay, guys. Really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. CU Men's Basketball Coach Tad Boyle uh, joining us. and uh, Boulder, Brooklyn. Starts with yeah, a yeah. To, uh, what a it's such a fascinating, you know, as you mentioned, 14 years there. And it's so fascinating to see where this program has come over that span. And here we are coming into this year, as you rightly pointed out, and, and as Coach Boyle said, this is the first year in which CU, for any coach, has ever had the five-star recruit like first Cody time. Williams. The first time they've ever had three of at least the consensus, whoever's ranking them, yeah. top 150 high school players in the right. country. Right. I, everything is going this way, and it really is. And I, I want to go back to the first thing that, that he said when I asked him about for the state of Colorado. You have Colorado State now ranked higher than they've ever been. They just beat Colorado in an, in an outstanding game. Of course, he pointed out if they had played a full 40, maybe it'd be different. But uh, you live and you learn. And I think that that, that was actually the point that, that Coach Boy was trying to make out of that, but yeah, hey, you're down 15 at the half, you lose by five. Yeah, you played well, but if you, you would have played well, but if in you could have played half. the whole game, hey, yep. you might have gotten this, and that's that's where coaching comes in too. Is uh, you know, coaches there, there are some coaches that'll tell you that a little easier to coach after a loss than a win at times. So there's that, but well, they, I mean, they smacked Pepperdine. At, yeah, yes, they did. Pepperdine's that, not nearly that was a, um, as good a team. But. Not a compelling contest in the no. 91 to 66 no. victory. No. Miami's no. will be quite, but a bit Miami closer. will be different. Miami will be different. But that's, it feels that, that's as if test. this is really for both of these universities. And, and what's great about it is that they can, in a, in an odd roundabout way, this this is what happens. They help each other by being successful at I the same so. time because so. more people look at the state of Colorado, more recruits look at the state of Colorado than they did before. And now, oh, I have two schools to visit that are interesting and compelling. Okay, I'm going to go there. And and quite frankly, this is how rivalries work. And out of this rivalry in basketball has been pretty one-sided on CU's side for a while. But right now, CSU holds that. Mm-hmm. That you it levels everybody up. Well, it, it, to me. It's me, a great Nico time to be a college basketball and Tad Boyle, two of the top 30 coaches, and maybe two of the top 20, but certainly two of the top 30 coaches in the country. And we're talking about how many Division One basketball games? <laughs> over 300, right? Right. So if you're in the top 20, top 30, you're in the top 10%. 10%. And I think that's, that's an easy call. That's, I think, a pretty fair assessment of what these coaches have accomplished. And now they have talent, experienced talent to work with and i know nico really works the portal probably in a way that's different from uh, the manner in which tad treats the portal but you've got to use all the tools at your disposal Mm -hmm. and i think cu now uh, given the fact that they got cody williams and they're bringing in three guys for next year and by by the way well we mentioned lampkin's a transfer guy he's leading the team in rebounding guy and lampkin Lampkin can play. Yeah, now, can. I understand he's coming off the back injury, and he isn't the player that I remember, uh, at least not at the moment, that I remember uh, during his time yeah, at Yeah, but he's playing but, pretty well right now. But he's very good. Yeah. He's very good. I've seen him against Kansas a bunch of times, and he's very good. I think, you know, it, yes, Cody Williams will likely leave at the end of one year, but I, 
I don't quite always understand the reason that every five star feels he has to leave after after right. one year. Uh, Cody Williams is six eight and one ninety. He needs to get stronger, and he won't lose quickness. He won't lose speed by getting stronger and staying here at a place he'll he'll play. I I go back um, to Kansas last year. Grady Dick leaves after one year, mm-hmm. and he had a nice year. And a but, ridiculous but his numbers draft. his numbers at Kansas last year are about the same or were about the same last year as Cody Williams' numbers are now, Brady Dick's not playing in the NBA. So why did he come out? I mean, top 10 pick, too. Well, that's why. Top 10 pick. Guaranteed money. You uh, you blow out your knee in, in the... That family sl- needs money? Slipping out of the shower, and you still uh, you still get every dollar, and that, that obviously means an awful lot. Uh, the Buffaloes will take on Miami in that NABC uh, Brooklyn Showcase out there. That will be a tremendous amount of fun this Saturday. We'll keep an eye on that. But we look back to the Denver Broncos. Who, uh, if last week wasn't must win, this week is must win. Really must win. Really must win. Really must win. made it this time. What did the Broncos have to do to get better? What are the concerns on their offense? Uh, I know it seems maybe a long list, but we'll try to see if we can thin it down for you next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. I mean, I had to let that one breathe a little bit. Good. Eddie Bailey, of course, in the booth, making everything work there. The Denver Broncos offense is a... Uh, well, it's pop gun, and it's it's better than it was last year. But it, but the truth is that it's I I would have a word for it though. Yeah, and that word is enigmatic. Enigmatic. I I, I you know we've talked Not quite mostly the riddle about wrapped the in an enigma, passing. but uh, yeah, uh, right, right. Uh, it, it, uh, we talked about the passing game, and I think we'll find as we examine the running game uh, here over the next few minutes, we'll find much the same yeah. thing. All these contradictory metrics as a part of the Denver Broncos, I think, in general this year. Look at the defensive transformation. Go from being historically bad to basically, at least for five weeks, maybe six, including the Kansas City game at Kansas City, one of the best five defensive teams in the league, and they weren't quite as good as they had been on Sunday, but they were a far sight better than they were during the first five games of the year. The Broncos ranked 15th in the league in running yards per game at 115.8. So as close to the middle as you can get in a 32-team league, more or less. And so they find themselves in a spot where they are middling. And and this was a team that I think it's safe to say with Russell Wilson's uh, counting stats 
This is a team that wants its identity to be a power running team. Well, right? yeah. they're certainly not yeah, going to be pass happy. You know, wouldn't you say that they've been an a, overall an above average running team this year? Above average. Yes, but here's the but thing I mean, that I, I think mean, is interesting. Aren't they eighth in yards per rush? Uh, they're fifteenth in EPA per rush. I know that. Mm-hmm. Now, I, you know, as you said, that's middling, but eighth at four point four yards, yards per? per rush. Yep. But that's 4.4 yards per rush. And let's note, though, that Javante Williams, the leading rusher, 584 yards. He's bringing him down. He's at 3.8. Yeah. The And he's got the most carries. Samaje Pirine, who only actually has 37 carries on the year. Three game. Is averaging 4.7. Jaleel McLaughlin is averaging 5.8 on his 51 carries. But the truth of the matter is, if you're actually going to look at it, with touchdowns, first downs, and even average, if you start putting that all together, the most effective runner on the team is your 35-year-old quarterback. Yeah, it's true. And that is probably not ideal it's if true. the offense is predicated on protecting the quarterback yeah. from putting yourself in positions to lose games. And the funny thing about that is Russell Wilson's uh, challenge, despite the three-interception game, has not really been interceptions. It's if For turnovers, it's been fumbles. Now, he's fumbled three times thus far on runs. And... As a result, I guess I look at this running game and look, okay, yeah, you're right. You know, they're eighth in per carry, okay, yeah. but your quarterback's averaging five almost, 4.9. Yeah. Yeah. He's 35 years old. The And everyone knows that's just sort of a last resort. There are not there are some design scrambles for Wilson, to be fair. but There, there have been, and they've been well-designed. They have been well-designed. I think when they've designed for him to run, they've been outstanding. And I think Wilson, for the most part, has had a pretty good judge of when to take off and, and, and tuck it and run. But... It, it feels as if, oddly, you know, you talk about how some things are greater than the sum of their parts. <laughs> it feels like the Broncos' rushing offense is is sort of greater than the sum of its parts because you, you break it all down, and there's nothing really that impressive. Javante Williams, you know, a year removed from the serious surgeries, three torn ligaments, uh, 3.8, uh, no rushing touchdowns on the year just None. yet, only one carry over 20 yards. Right. Uh, McLaughlin has four of those, but then again, as you know, only 51 carries in the year, 296. He does have a touchdown, but one of the challenges with McLaughlin at this point is as the season's gone along, because he is at this stage, one, rookie, two, small, and not adept at blitz pickup, he's become something of a tell. I went and looked at it again. Julian McLaughlin, unless I'm mistaken, on only one play when Julian McLaughlin wasn't was in, did the Broncos not get him the ball. Right. I mean, when Juluma, basically, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm like, oh, 38 saying he's getting it. And that's a problem. And, and it's reduced his effectiveness as the season has gone Oh, on. I think so. Samaje so Pirine, I think, over the last couple of weeks leading up to this one, where in the Texans game, he inexplicably had just one carry, I thought was the best running back they had. In fact, the best offensive player they had. I think we agreed on that against Cleveland. Yeah. And then comes oh, yeah. and gets one uh, carry no, in this game. No, he's the best all-around back. And he's been that for several weeks now. It just doesn't feel like... There's much there, there, yet the Broncos' offense seems dependent on the running but, game. But there's that, but then there's the contradiction when you get to red zone generally and goal-to-go situations specifically. Yeah, they have four rushing touchdowns All in right. a year. And here, their leading rusher doesn't have one of here's them. Here's the deal. The Broncos have only one goal-to-go rushing touchdown from a running back this year. All year, lowest total in the league. Jets have two. Vikings have two. Only the Jets and Vikings have a lower rushing touchdown total in those scenarios overall than the Broncos, who have three after Wilson's second 
such score of the season on Sunday in Houston. The Broncos are 31st in the league in EPA per rush in goal-to-go situations. They are also last in yards per rush, goal-to-go situations, 0.7. I mean, I can't, I can't explain what comes over them in these goal-to-go situations. And, and the red zone, I, I get it. You know, they're passing more. They, they run more between the 20s, and then they get inside the 20, and they unleash the passing attack. But the lack of even a modicum of a running threat in goal-to-go situations, right. that's why I get – I don't want them to run the ball. They couldn't the other day because nope. they're out of timeouts. I mean, I'm not sure I'm crazy about him running the ball down there. I've seen him all year long. They have got stuff on It seems like yeah. on first yeah. and at times even on second down, after they fail on first down, they're running the ball. So a lot of their scoring down there on touchdown passes have come on third and fourth down. It's, yeah, it's just, it's a strange situation because the Broncos do, again, they have a spot where the the, the overall counting numbers aren't bad. Well, why but boy, why can't they, the offensive line run block boy, they get stuffed. in goal-to-go situation? Yeah, they get stuffed a high percentage of the time, no matter which running back it is. I mean, stuffed, as in you, you barely get to the line of scrimmage or lose a yard or two. And the Broncos right. have a lot of those carries. And those are carries that go a lot of the times right up the middle. Yeah. And... It's just perplexing to me. Now, I I, I will give Javante Williams uh, a pass because I think this is the first year after monumental surgery. Again, people say, oh, ACL surgery. No, not just ACL surgery. Three of the four CLs in the knee. And I think it's important to note that. So am I surprised he's not back to what you saw before the injury yet? No, I'm not. And maybe he never will be, but I suspect the second year will be a little better. But he's also the type of runner. Boy, he takes punishment. Yeah, you know, and I, well, I just, and I remember we talked about that, Sandy. Even as a I, rookie, I the concern was it is not an exaggeration to say he may may never get back to what he was. Yeah, and, and and look, um, the average NFL career is about three point three seasons. Running backs have the shortest ones. Theirs is barely two, and guys that are out there as power backs taking the hits and delivering the hits as Javante Williams does, uh, you're swimming upstream, and I remember talking about this as a rookie. It's an exciting, compelling, effective NFL style. I don't know how sustainable it is. And I would say that for any team that has a power rusher. Uh, You want to see, go look at Pittsburgh, where Najee Harris is not all that old and is quickly being displaced by Jalen Warren because he's run down. Right. Same style of runner. Exactly right. Exactly right. And then even Pollard and Ezekiel uh, Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott, yep. You know, that, that, Ezekiel Elliott wore down. Uh, now he's kind of an afterthought. Kind of a goal line option. Because yeah. I've heard Stevenson's hurt uh, in New England. So we'll right. probably see a fair amount of Ezekiel Elliott on Christmas Eve. Yeah, because they're not going to the go Patriots a lot of Bailey Zappi. But, Zappy, you, but you, you know, you look, at, I mean, you look at Cook with the Jets, who is wanted out uh, for a long time now because he feels he isn't playing enough. But, you know, yeah, but he's he, the backup. Minnesota was right. They got rid of him at the right time. They did. And it, Dallas got rid of Elliott. And, you know, Pollard, it, it, last year or two, Pollard was the more effective of the two backs in Dallas. And now Pollard is 
carrying the load uh, himself and uh, having a decent year. I mean, Christian McCaffrey puts them all to shame. Let's say, and, and even even Christian McCaffrey, I think one of the reasons he's effective and efficient is because he doesn't have to carry the ball. But I'll tell you though, times a game. if uh, you've got to be a little like me, every time I watch Christian McCaffrey play, I'm excited, and then three or four times a game, I'm watching it through my fingers. True, but he's 25 for 25 yep, in game starts. Right. And I'm not trying to jinx him, but I mean, with but, the 49ers, but the history's been significant. I and I, I sometimes, but you know, you he know get, gets him like, Ugh. When he started to get hurt in Carolina, I thought, yeah, he's going to be a diminished player. And then he gets traded to San Francisco. Kyle knows how to use him uh, and, and how not to overuse him. Yeah. Specifically. Well, and as if to, you know. And, and so, and, and he's got other options. You know, Samuel can carry it. Uh, Who's number twenty-five? Uh, who who backs up? Mitchell? Oh, uh, yes, Elijah Mitchell. Yeah, Elijah Mitchell. Uh, so the, I mean, there are other guys who can do it, but and he loves to run inside. And you know what? I'm I'm not sure it isn't less of a risk to run inside. I, I, I'm well, you're you're less likely to get the the guy near the sideline taking your yeah, knees yeah, out from under yeah, you. And and, and yeah. the funny thing is, there's always some there's always special guys because I mean the top three rushers in the league, McCaffrey of course, only running back with a thousand yards. But here's Derrick Henry who turns thirty in a matter of weeks, uh, and Raheem Mostert who is by the way third in the league with uh, a significant guy now. But we know that uh, he, you know he's got the injury. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. But. But, you know, Mostert is a 31. And so there are guys that could do it. There are always well, some folks Mostert, out there that can Mostert get it done. Mostert was uh, judiciously used. Yeah. And Mostert's over, five, over five a carry, by the way, too. Right. Yes, he was, and, including in San Francisco. Including in San Francisco. And now you've got a former 49er assistant, Mike McDaniel, who knows Mostert very well and, and knows how to use him. Uh, and even with uh, yeah. some of and the injury problems they've back, had the uh, who can do a little bit, hopefully. Oh, oh boy, he's good. And, and I, I don't know, I'm looking at Miami, and they're atop the AFC right now, and they've got Tennessee and the Jets was, uh, yeah. at home. They may hold Then it. they got Dallas at they home. They may be the top be a seed. tough game. At Baltimore, all right, they might not win that. But then they got Buffalo at home in kind of a revenge game after Buffalo plastered them 48-20, to 20, I think it was, earlier this year in Buffalo. Miami, Miami's going to win 13 or 14 games. Yeah, I think so, too. I do. I mean, I, that I think right now, at the stands right now, I think it's entirely possible to throw the Super Bowl in the AFC runs through Miami. How about that? I might not have seen well, that. Well, they're in coming. first place for now, and they're six and two in the conference. And Baltimore six and three, Kansas City six and one, but a game behind. Uh, Jacksonville six and three, but lost last night. And I think you know, here in Lawrence has a high ankle sprain. Uh, I, Lawrence is Hall of Fame tough. Yeah. yeah. You know, nothing can take him out of the lineup, but a high ankle sprain might do it for a few weeks. Well, well, you can win a trip to the biggest football game of the year, courtesy of our friends at Superbook Sports. Superbook will fly you and a friend to Las Vegas for February's championship game. They'll also give you two tickets for the game and a three-night hotel stay. All you have to do is place a $25 same-game parlay between now and January 7th, and you're automatically entered to win. So wager and win a super trip to Las Vegas, courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, the Colorado Avalanche ran into a couple speed bumps. It wasn't disastrous, but it wasn't what they wanted on the road. Well, they have a chance to turn it around and maybe even get a little revenge. They are at home tonight versus the Anaheim Ducks. We'll take a look at what to expect from the Avs next on My Life Sports.
This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Colorado Avalanche will get going tonight, 7 p.m. down at Ball Arena. Get a little revenge, hopefully, against the Anaheim Ducks, who uh, the last time, at least they had played uh, one of the games in, for the Avs on this road trip and where it went to uh, extra time, and the Avalanche did not come up uh, on top, losing 4-3 to three That was the worse shootout. than the Arizona uh, loss yeah, because they had like a 3-1 it. lead against Anaheim. In that game, in fact, over the course of the weekend, uh, you know, the Avalanche just had not gotten much from their offensive lines. Now, in the end, last time against the Ducks, uh, Bowen Byram had the first two goals he of did. the game. He did. And, well, Bowen Byram had two of the four goals of the weekend, none of which <laughs> scored by the forwards. There might be a bit of See, a statement who, who in that. Who had the other two? Taves and Manson? Taves and Manson. Manson, the only goal against Manson the Kings. Manson had the goal against the Kings. The Avs have... Called up former first-round selection Oscar Olison. I don't think he's coming up unless they plan to play him tonight. Who sits? That's a good question. Does Thomas Tatar But sit? have we seen something in those, you know, there's obviously a desire by Bednar to take a look at those uh, maybe third and fourth lines, tweak a little bit. Oh, I, I, I don't agree with that. Well, maybe not I, the fourth line, pardon Second me. line. The second and third lines. Second line. line. Yes, second and third lines. Third line's fine. I'm not touching a third line. Third line's been their best line lately. Or fourth line, right? See, I got y'all. I got y'all a whack. Okay, go ahead. Third Pardon line. Me. Third line's been their best line. Reset that for far. me. Okay. okay. First line. I'll, I'll give you not some scoring, numbers. but we understand they're in good yeah. shape. But yes, go ahead. Third line. 121 minutes. Five on five. 65 and a half percent of the expected goal share. 63.7 percent of the scoring chances. 60.3 percent of the shot attempts, and the ABS are outscoring the opposition, again, in the 121 minutes that that third line has been together with Colton centering O'Connor on the right and Wood on the left. As of outscored in those 121 minutes, their opponents 5-2, to two, and they're keeping it simple. And I think the tendency on some of the other lines, uh, certainly the first and second lines at times get too fancy, uh, power play's been better lately, but I'm most encouraged by the third line. I think the third line's been steady from game to game. I think Colton's picked it up a little bit. They can all skate. And Wood has, as far as I can tell, played a much more disciplined game than he has in previous yeah. years. He stayed out of the penalty box. That's a good point. And he's a fine penalty killer. Because he can skate. Boy, he can and skate. we know O'Connor can skate. And I think ever since they took Tatar off that line and put O'Connor on that line, that's that's what we're talking about for the 121 minutes, five on five, that those three guys have been on the ice. The Avs have been terrific. Unlike last year, the Avs do not have, I repeat, do not have a third line problem. Uh, fourth line's been okay. Uh, second line... Up and down, up and down, all three of them. Tatar, almost all down. He's been, frankly, he's been terrible. And I suspect the call-up tonight will replace Unless there's Tatar. an injury we don't know of. Because, uh, you yeah. know, Jared Bednar yeah. did say that uh, earlier today that a couple guys may be game-time decisions. He didn't elaborate. But uh, it, it would make sense for but it to be Tatar. Tatar, uh, he's averaging 11 minutes, 5 seconds of ice time per game. 
and he's playing the second line. You talk about that, okay. that third line and it, penalties. It, it, uh, Colton leads the team in penalty minutes with 33. Wood is fifth with 20, and O'Connor is tied with him at 20. Right. And and, and that's, of course, but, the most of any forward but, line, but you'd expect that. Listen, O'Connor and Wood uh, kill penalties. Colton kills penalties. If they take a few, that's that's okay with me. I care about what they're doing five on five, and they've been those three guys have been terrific five on five. There isn't a third line currently operating, I doubt, in the NHL that's been better than they've been. Now, 121 minutes is relatively small sample on size. They haven't been together all year, but it's been during during these up and down periods for the Avalanche. That's been something they've been able to count on every night. And I want to get back to Tatar because the numbers are astonishingly bad. He's playing less, and deservedly so, than he has since his rookie year, which is back in 2010-2011. With Tatar on the ice at 5-on-5, Colorado's a 43.8% expected goal share. That's terrible. That's, That's almost embarrassing. Uh, they've been outshot. They've been outchanced with Tatar on the ice. He has all of 13 shots on goal. Uh, the Avalanche have played 24 games. You do the math. Last year, he averaged 1.8 shots per game. This year, it's not even half of that. Yeah. Not even close to half of that. And so, it, it, I listen, I'm not saying that he's a bust, that you give up on him. It's Not yet. St- you're still in in the first third of the yeah. season. No. But there are reasons but, to be concerned. I, he's not playing, and he's matched with Johansson and uh, Drew, and I think he's dragging them down. We haven't seen the same sort of, um, I would say, sort of consistent reasons for optimism that you had, say, with Jonathan Drew, who seems to be yeah, clicking com- better. Coming it off seems to be bit. coming and, off a little bit better. And I always look at the ice time and the truth is that's what the coach right. thinks. Both of these guys about were how well a guy let's is be honest about how it. poorly. Reclamation projects. I think that's fair, right? I mean, the Avalanche basically took a shot on Tatar that's and Drew. Druin. Yeah, I think Tatar is well. Tatar, I don't know if he's a reclamation guy. He's not making a lot of money. You're right about that. He's not making a ton of money, but he's making more than Druin's. Well, yeah. Druin's that, a reclamation true. project. Tatar, they expected production. I mean, 13 shots on goal. Are you kidding me? That's not great in 22 games. Are you kidding me? And minus and two on the season. 43.8% of the expected goal share when he's on the ice five on five. I mean, it's. There, there isn't another player in the league who would be playing regularly. We talked, uh, I mean, it <laughs> started the segment with numbers. him with those uh, goals against Anaheim on uh, the weekend. But Bowen Byron, by the way, is minus three, and with the exception yeah. of Samuel Girard. And we know that there's issues with uh, Girard that he's getting worked on right now. He's not with the team. Arturi oh. Lekin, and of course, is hurt. He's also a minus three. But in 24 games, minus three yeah. for Bowen Byron. That's not the end of the world. He has eight points. But 32 minutes in penalties, only yeah, one minute few. I mean, like I said, Cole leads with 33. Byram's only one behind him. And and some of those are when he, he loses his poise and patience and shoots the puck out of the rink. Well, that's not in his yeah. own end. And that he got that's, penalized, I think, in one game multiple times for doing that. And he's he's got to calm down. And every time I get irritated with him, uh, I, I, I remind myself of the fact that he's only 22, and he hasn't played a lot of hockey in the NHL. Uh, he was great in the playoffs in 22, but he's only played in 115 NHL games. I know he's been, he's, how, how is that? He's been here for 
three, four years, parts of three or four years. How, how could he? Well, he had the concussion issue right. in 22. He came back and had a great playoff run on their way to the Stanley Cup in 22, and he was a big contributor to that. But then last year, fortunately not concussions, but other injuries took him out uh, of a big part of the season. He just hasn't played a but lot you, of you hockey. You talk about that delay and he's of game. Off to, he's off to a slow start. The, the delay of game penalty, you know, shooting it over the, the glass, right? Then he's taken four of those this four year. Four of those this year. Four. And I think two in one game. Two in one game. Two of them came in one game. And, and he, that, he that, can't have that. That's rough. And, and 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 he's kind of had the he's kind of had all of it. You know, of course, uh uh he's had a couple the last couple of games has been slashing calls. He's had more yeah. than a few hooking calls where he's found well, himself in the hooking call. One of them I get it in the Anaheim game. It, it was kind of like you're beaten in no, the end but, zone and you tackle the wide receiver. But no, but no, in the Arizona game it cost him a game. It cost him the game. Exactly. The game. It did. Because I I mean technically the game winner was not a power play goal, but it came um, like a mo- Byram, or yeah, two Byram had after the, the penalty door had ended. even closed by the so, time he got yeah, out. Yeah. And they, so, you know, there's so been a couple he, of hooking calls. He's had three hooking calls uh this year. He's had four of those delay of game calls. And and he's even had a couple of roughing calls, and he's not really a big guy knocking people around. So and I, I, I don't you I know, think if, you had, look, I'm not gonna him either, calls. But I like I your, your point. Your point and he's and he's had a trip. You know, uh, there, there's been some of that, but it's, it's poise. I think yep. that's the right word. You hit it on the head. It's poise. Um, it, he is younger still. It takes a little bit of time to develop that slower heartbeat in the tough situations. But if you're looking for the abs to go back and try to win the Stanley cup again, I think Bowen Byram is going to have be to get there be for better. the abs to get to where they want to go. I think he and Manson are a good tandem. They were during the playoffs mm-hmm. in 2022. Like now they're back together because of the Gerard situation. And so may, maybe they get something going. I thought Manson played very well in Los Angeles the other night, had the only goal, and, and, and actually has been playing better lately. And maybe uh, playing with Byram, Byram won't worry so much uh, and feel he has to. You know, he and Gerard just a bad kind. Of, they, uh, oh, yeah. Almost like they brought the worst out in yeah. the other. I agree with that. That Not never made sense to me. But it, it just stylistically never made sense. Kale McCarr, by the way, for the game, doubtful uh, at this point. Maybe well, not a surprise. Well, that's actually good news. Uh, not that he won't play tonight, but doubtful is better than definitely out and day-to-day. Right. I know that's the catch-all phrase, but that's better than uh, two months out. Yeah. <laughs> what would be nice for the Evs tonight, too, by the way, even is if, two a, weeks um, if a forward could score. That hasn't happened in the uh, last couple nice. games. So maybe I, I that would be the step. I suspect they'll get off the schneid. One would hope. Uh, they've lost three. Well, they haven't really lost three straight. It's, you know, with, uh, better get a two of them in the In the NHL, there are overtime losses, there are shootout losses, and you get a point yeah. for both. And then there are regulation losses where you don't get anything. And it's, it's, they, they, they got on this trip to have a possible six points. And... You know, we talked about DU and North Dakota yesterday splitting. Uh, well, because all games in college hockey, uh, in league play, in NCHC, are worth three points. Well, Denver got two points and North Dakota got four. So the Avs and DU had the same kind of weekend. Yeah, of course, their not weekend was awful, but not real 
It's been a right. while since the Avs have had one of those at the final horn, though. All their guys uh, slapping high fives because that, that's been three where True. they have ended up one way or the True. other. And uh, not to players, not more goals than the other. How about that? To players, Fewer a goals. loss is a loss is a loss. It is to and a player against an Anaheim team that they probably should have beaten. Yeah, I expect them to come out on fire tonight. We'll find out the Avs. Tip that off uh, at 7 p.m. The face-off will be at Ball Arena. Thanks so much for joining us today. Of course, thank you so much to CU Men's Basketball Couch, Tad Boyle, who joined us today for a terrific, terrific discussion. If you missed any part of that, you can always go to MyLifeSports.com or the My Life Sports app, and you can get all of that on demand. If you missed the whole show, that's okay. If you just want to hear us talking to Coach Boyle, or you really just want to hear Coach Boyle, part, but you can do it. was great, apart from my mistaking Boulder for Brooklyn. Uh, you know, happens all the time. <laughs> and, hey, with lots of invitationals for sure right now for the uh, Buffaloes. Also starts with a B. You know what else starts with a B? Uh, back. That's what we'll be tomorrow, but not right now because uh, we are going to give way. We'll be back on a Wednesday. Thanks to Danny Bailey. Also will be in the booth putting everything together. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Those are both S's, but, you know, we'll get it. You can uh, make the joke yourself. You'll figure it out in a minute. We'll be back tomorrow on My Life Sports. Let's go.